When you open up, you let stuff in. That's what Chris Anderson said to me inside a bar in the Navy Yard section of Washington, D.C. I'd sat down with Chris and his wife, Rebecca Haviland, a few nights ago to do my last interview of the year for this podcast. And this one was easy because I knew Chris. He was the bass player in my makeshift one-night-only Ron Scalzo band during a live set I did a little over a year ago. I don't do many shows, and this one turned out to be significant. It would be my last show in New York City, my last show as a New Yorker. My life has changed more than a little bit since that show. Leaving New York was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, and who knows, maybe I'll be back someday, but leaving was easy too, because I wasn't happy. I was content. I was sliding by killing time. But as Chris says, when you open up, you let stuff in. And this move down to D.C. has been me at my most spread eagle. I don't know if it was meant to be or if it'll mean I live happily ever after, but it feels like a destiny, and it's felt that way ever since that show last year. Chris has had his own destiny to play bass. For lots of artists you probably know, but especially with his wife. He's in a band with her, has been for a while, It's her band, really, and Chris is just a big, bassy part of it. Chris and Rebecca were down in D.C. to play a show together. They seem to do it a lot, and I envy them for that. Thanks to this podcast, I've met some really cool music-making couples, and Chris and Rebecca seemed to share that at-ease simpatico that doesn't seem forced or phony. It's kind of a beautiful thing to observe, really. So here I was in D.C. sharing a beer with these two, recounting the events of a year ago, and sitting here reflecting upon it now. It all seems like a really big deal. Because when you open up, you let stuff in. And for me, finally, the floodgates have opened. Like most artists I've interviewed on this podcast, Rebecca and Chris were super cool. They paid for my cab. They bought me a beer. And most of all, their unwavering dedication to their craft inspired me. It occurs to me now that I should have asked about the meaning behind the band name Rebecca Haviland and Whiskey Heart. I mean, why not Rebecca Haviland and Rum Brain? Or Rebecca Haviland and Tequila Booty? Anyway, I love whiskey, so no need. (laughs) Rebecca and Chris talk about so far sounds, love connections, self-promotion, musical families, and going all in. So come on, let's go all in together as we stuff some more openings. (laughs) Kicking it off with 57 Chevy from the sweet and soulful Americana EP, Bright City Lights, then my conversation with Rebecca Haviland and Chris Anderson right here on Independent Minded. It's Ron Scalzo's amazing podcast. It's Ron Scalzo's amazing podcast. He's talking to people who make all the music. He's plugging their projects. He's making them famous. He's helping them out just by making them talk about all the cool shit that they do. Truck and drive till the road ends. Just me and my old 57 Chevy. Drive real fast with the windows down, won't stop till I'm ready to settle down. And I Second gear when 
Gordon Biersch? Biersch. Gordon Biersch. Try to look at the menu. Yeah, the beers are pretty good. All right, I'm live at Gordon Biersch. Yeah, Do we know you who, are. who Gordon Biersch was? Is he, no, but is he's he just, providing us with lovely beverages. He's just the proprietor of this he's establishment. The proprietor. With Rebecca Haviland and Chris Anderson from Rebecca Haviland and the Whiskey Heart. So, Chris, does that make you the Whiskey Heart? I am always the Whiskey Heart, yeah. You're one portion of the heart? Yeah, I mean, we do a lot of uh, shows as a duo, and then, then I'm the entire part, but then sometimes <laughs> we have a band, and i got to share that part with the other guys. Sometimes there are other yeah. ventricles in the heart. This has sometimes become a science podcast. I have a history with Chris. Yeah, you do. And we'll talk about that later on in the podcast, but you guys are down here doing a, like a one-off show. We in are. Washington, D.C. Yep. And normally, as I explained to you before we crack the mics, I go to the venues and talk to the artists, and you guys, I got locked out. I'm not allowed to go to the show. This is a little bit of an interesting situation. So we're doing a so far sound show, and it's kind of like a, a renegade pop-up music series thing that happens all over the country and actually internationally as well. And so basically they take over an impromptu location, a non-traditional venue location. We do a quick sound check, and then we play, there's three artists, and we each play some songs. 
and that's it. So we can't get in that space until they close from business. What's a non-traditional venue mean? Like an office space, or we actually played, last time we were in D.C., we played in an, an abandoned electrical supply place or something over by Union Market. When you do these, do you know what to expect when you walk no. through the door? No So you idea. don't even know what you're going to be no. playing tonight. We get the location like the week of the show. The cool thing is the audience doesn't get the location until the day of, but they're all subscribers. So the great part is that you get like a pretty concentrated music-going audience. They don't know who's playing, but they want to see shows. So you get a cold audience, which is good, because that makes for new fans, if you can pull it off. And they're a concert-going people. So it kind of is your demographic, even though they don't know they're your demographic yet. What's the story with So Far in general? Do you do a bunch of these, or is this local to DC? We d started doing some in New York. We've done two in New York, and they also film a couple of the locations. So the New York one, we just filmed in this beautiful church space in Brooklyn at a convent. And then we've done two shows in DC, and we're going to be doing some more shows in the new year. Sometimes you get a convent, sometimes you get an abandoned electrical warehouse. Yes, exactly. I mean, that's an exciting uh, it's really cool. aspect of being a musician, I would yeah. imagine. And they're usually, like, for the most part, really great places to make music in. They're pretty large and resonant, and the audience is, like, super into it because they're there just to see music. They don't even care who's... They're not buying tickets specifically for us, which is kind of fun. It's kind of like a viral thing in a way. Like, people hear about it word of mouth and see it online, on social media, and then you buy a ticket without knowing who the artist are so it, you're kind of buying into an experience oh, wow. and they're all BYOB and you bring a blanket or a towel or something to sit on and just chill out it's pretty cool it's like the movie The Game with Michael Douglas yes. except minus the paranoia exactly or maybe there is paranoia I don't know <laughs> I'll bring the paranoia <laughs> exactly. you bring the whiskey and the paranoia the and the heart and the paranoia I am originally from Brooklyn New York I moved down to DC a few months ago and Chris is part of a, a circle of musicians that I kind of grew up with in the scene you came to these guys later on, but my friends in Burlap to Kashmir, uh, Teddy and Johnny. Love those guys. I grew up with. That's how I kind of found out about you. You started playing with them, along with a guy named Todd, who's also in Whiskey Heart. Is that right? Yeah. You know, New York has uh, lots of wonderful musicians. I'm happy to know Teddy and Johnny, and I tour on occasion as the bass player in uh, Burlap to Kashmir. And I got Todd the gig in Burlap to Kashmir. Uh, when they need Caused lots of ruckus with Todd. Yeah. Todd loves it or hates <laughs> it. I don't know. You'll have to ask him. I think him. that's part of the burlap to cashmere it's vibe. It's part of the experience. In general. I, you know, yes. I've, known, I've known those guys since the late 90s when they first started out. And I actually know them way longer than that, but that's when the band started. And they were actually the first guests on the Independent Minded Podcast, episode one. That's crazy. Burlap to Cashman. Yeah, I love those guys. I joined up when they were making a record for Sony, and that was right before we started Whiskey Heart, but I did a, a handful of years touring with them, still on occasion. I did a couple last summer. Now, through that relationship, I've been doing shows on and off for the past couple of years, kind of getting my shit back together with my own music ever since my house got destroyed by a hurricane on Staten Island. Last year, I did a show at Rockwood Music Hall. You played bass. Guilty. I was there. You were guilty. We were all guilty. <laughs> and you mentioned to me soon after that, hey, I'm in a band with my wife. And guilty again. Can we do your podcast? It didn't work out while I was still living in New York, but now you're down here. I'm living down here. And here we are at Gordon Beach. Sharing some brews yeah. during this the holiday the, season. This is the circus. We're this all just it, trying man. not to go home. I don't know anything about the two of you as a couple, the two of you as musicians. So this is... We don't know anything about the two of us as a couple. This is the... Well, hopefully we'll find out together. <laughs> we just heard a song from Rebecca Haviland, Whiskey Heart. We'll talk about the soulful Americana style and your history. But let's start with Rebecca and Chris. 
I would assume that neither of you are originally from New York. Is that right? I'm originally from New York, and Chris is originally from New York. All right, so scratch yeah. that. I was. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're safe to assume most people are not. Most I mean. I'm from Westchester County, just north of the city, originally, and Chris is from upstate New York. So. But you're right, Ron, not from the city. Not from the city. Because this was going to lead into my next question, which is about the title of your most recent release. It's called Bright City Lights. How bright are the lights? How long ago did you move to the city? You're, are you not in the city so now either, I've never you? actually lived in the city. I've always lived in Westchester. But so you don't I've even always, know how bright they are. I know how bright they are, man. <laughs> I, I've always lived right near Metro North and uh, spent a lot of time in the city. And All right. Westchester still counts. We're a coastal city, and that's sort of what uh, Bright City Lights is alluding to. All us uh, supposed coastal elites. A lot of the bright city lights in this country happen to be coastal cities, and there are some assumptions about uh, the people from those places. Uh, we traveled a lot on the road with an artist uh, previously, so it's about our experiences and thoughts on that and how it relates to us being New Yorkers. So how did you guys meet? Give me the story. Uh, Rebecca needed a bass player a long time ago. <laughs> this is how you forge all your relationships. Yeah, every, like. all my relationships are they're, yeah, they're bass-centric. <laughs> and, then I, and then, you know, it just kind of stuck. But we, we were friends a very long time before we dated, and... We started a project of our own out of a want for making music and records the way we wanted to make them. Yeah. I did the research. I went on the website, and I saw videos dating back to, like, 2012. How long have the two of you been at this together, and has it been as this, or has it evolved into this? Well, I have put some other projects out under my own name, like just me, and um, that's why when we started writing together, it was important to differentiate it from the Rebecca Havlin band to... Rebecca Havlin and Whiskey Heart. That first record came out in 2013, and then we both had a lot of touring opportunities to play with other people, which is another part of what we do for a living as musicians. Then we came back around and made this record, so it took us uh, five years to get back around to another album, but well worth the wait, I think. Let's talk about last year at this time, Chris, where I told you, hey, my girlfriend moved to D.C., and you're like, ah, you take the Amtrak, you know, you basically kind of talked me off the ledge. I thought this was kind of the death knell for the relationship and I don't know if you remember this but you kind of in a very calm way just said yeah you're gonna work it out it's not that big a deal to go down to DC and come back and forth it's crazy you bring that up I think musicians travel a ton and they're less afraid of it and they know exactly how quick and easy a trip like New York to DC can be so I'm not saying I got lucky in your relationship advice <laughs> but I'm saying I, I may have just hit that one out of the park with my eyes closed but I'm happy it's working I appreciate that so am I well it's interesting the night of the show at Rockwood that was the night she told me that she took the job in DC this was not premeditated in any way I hugged her and I, and I whispered in her ear like did you get the job right after playing about 35 minutes of music that was mostly about her and um she said, yeah, I got the job. And I just kind of like jerked back from the hug. And I said, I love you. I'm coming with you. That's huge. Bud. Just like that. See, you know? when you open up, you let stuff in. I like that. I like that. That's going to be the headline <laughs> for this podcast. There you go. And exactly what you predicted would happen, happened. We basically took the time to come back and forth, whether it was train or by car. That train is quick, man, and the drive isn't bad. And then, you know, D.C. is a great city, so there's work opportunities. You know, we're well past the time when someone has one job for 30 years. You can really kind of move around and do different things. Absolutely. We can, we can create our own lives. You have your own disparate projects, I would assume. Chris, you've played with Martin Sexton. You've played with Rachel Platten. Yeah, we both played with Rachel Platten. We love that that stuff. I love Marty. I love touring with him. The thing a lot of people don't realize is that music is like a, it is a trade, 
You know, you learn how to do it if you make your living at yeah. it. And there are things that you do to make your living. And then there are things that are yours. So Whiskey Heart is ours, and that's what's important about it to us. And one of the reasons it took us a few years in between records was because I was very fortunate in touring with a lot of successful artists in that time, and it took me away from home. And then Rebecca was as well. And that unfortunate timing, you know, led to paychecks, led to a consistent lifestyle, but took away from making Whiskey Heart record, which is why we're, we're thrilled to be back and be doing another one. Part of being a musician is self-promotion. Yes, definitely. Both of you, whether as part of a tandem or in your individual worlds, are surrounded by these bigger artists, some of which we've already mentioned. I've had similar experiences, whether it was working at Z100, where the biggest stars of the day walk in and out of those studios every day, and their record reps, and their PR people. And then I have friends in bands who are touring with Guns N' Roses and Coheed and Cambria. Where do you draw the line on resisting the urge to give somebody your card, so to speak? This is something that even now, working where I work now, I kind of have to be careful about not being the guy who's in a band or not being the guy who does the podcast. But at the same time, I'm proud about the work that I do and I'm passionate about my creative projects. And here I am with these opportunities staring me right in the face. At the end of the day, it's professionalism. And the hard part about that is like not to confuse your passions with what the jobs are so for me i i love playing bass bass makes my living you know what i mean but you can tell very quickly in certain outfits there's no lateral movement like i i spent 2013 with a great big world and they had a number one single and i was very much part of that band but it became very obvious quickly that i was never going to get a writing credit or never going to be a part of the process of them making a record per se although i did play on one of their best-selling records so you learn to back away then but then you meet artists like martin sexton and and marty and his wife are inviting us to every radio promo date they're introducing us to the management so it depends on what world you're in and if you take a breath i guess in short and you listen for a minute you can find that answer rebecca i want to talk about your origins and your influences this album as i said it's an americana album there's a lot of blues in there yes and I read in your bio that you are the granddaughter of jazz musicians. I am. And that your dad snuck you into bars when you were a teenager he to sit did. in with <laughs> your uncle's band, so his brother? His brother, yeah. He's the oldest of six boys, my dad, and uh, a couple of them were in a band together. My grandparents used to sing jazz standards around the house a lot when I was growing up, and my grandma uh, taught, I'm the oldest of 19 grandchildren on my dad's side, and she taught all of us how to play piano. We all just sort of have a musical thing in us. I'm the only one who's really made a career of it, but they would sing jazz standards around the house, and we just kind of thought that was what everybody did growing up. You'd go to your grandparents and sing, you know, Fly Me to the Moon or Amos Behaven or something like that. So then when I was old enough, my dad started bringing me out to see some of my uncles play, and they were doing a lot more classic rock, like traffic and blind faith and nice. zeppelin and uh some more blue stuff some eric clapton and so it was a real amazing introduction for me to what else you can do that's musical and so I, I just started eating all of that up and so a lot of this record is me trying to bring in that influence of the blues side of things that i really love and that more you know 60 70s rock thing but then i have a song like you and i which is a song paying tribute to my grandparents um that's piano 
piano heavy and you know more of a, a, a traditional almost like a standard in terms of the structure yeah I enjoyed song. that song that's Aww, a nice sweet you. little ballad thank you so much was that the video where you're in the yes in the barn in the barn yeah, and, oh, the yeah very cool yep. was there a moment where you realized hey like I can sing I can play instruments and this is what I'm gonna do yeah I didn't really know I could sing that till I was like in middle school I didn't realize that it was like a thing that other people couldn't do because everyone in my family kind of sings yeah that's kind of like a, a high standard to live up to yeah. right off the bat so I had some teachers who were really amazing when I was in middle school um, my middle school choral teacher Mrs. Tardinico she was just a constant uh, were you in Mrs. Tardinico's band? Uh, no she never had a band she should have had a band I was never in her band no. I'm surprised she's the best though she pushed me along to, to really you know help me to realize that it, I had a talent I had a gift and it was something I should continue to pursue And but I wanted to be a doctor Oh. For a long time, my dad is a—he worked as a director of radiology for a hospital. So I grew up kind of going to the hospital with him, and I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And I hit high school, and I was just like, man, like every morning when I wake up, the only thing I want to do is play music, and I need to find a way to make that be what I do, or I'm not going to be happy. And my grandparents both did it, and and you know, one of the biggest lessons I learned is that you you shouldn't try to approach things with a plan B. You should go all in and just do it. And if you approach your practice routine and you approach what you do in your everyday life with that mentality, then it's going to be undeniable what you end up doing with your career and your life. See, this is exactly the opposite formula that I have used in my <laughs> life when it comes to music especially. Except for what got you to D.C. Uh, you go. True, true. See? True, I've you jumped off the in, cliff. Jumped I've jumped off, the, off cliff. the cliff when it comes to romance, but sometimes I've crash landed and yeah. gone splat. That happens too. I mean, that's happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to Chris. It happens to everybody. But you learn from those things and you grow. And yeah, it and took you, me about uh, two decades. I mean, I was a classical. I was an opera major when I started out in college. That did not last very long. Really? And then I switched to jazz studies, and that was awesome. But then I ended up being a studio engineer major. I wanted to be a studio engineer. And so you learn, and you kind of go through that path. And now I'm where I am right now. So, How does your family feel about the path you've chosen? They've always been really excited about it and supportive. My dad helped me early on to find ways to make a living as a musician. So I started singing in Catholic churches when I was uh, a kid uh, for money. It's a great place to sing. It's super resonant and uh, beautiful. And yeah, nice uh, reverb. That's uh, amazing. It spoils me rotten, and, <laughs> and I drive Chris crazy because everywhere I go, I just want to. I want reverb and everything. But um, do you sing church songs or? I do. I sing church songs and like um, ringing in the sheaves. Like Ave Maria and that kind of stuff, you know. Amazing so not rings, ringing in the sheaves? Not ringing in the sheaves. Uh, that was from Little House on the Prairie, I think. <laughs> My mom and dad have always been really supportive. So Nice. Yeah. So, Chris, nobody in the fam, so who was it? Was it Prince? Uh, no. No, I, I, did, I had one uncle who was a musician. I fall into the really funny cliche of um, I ended up a bass player because all of my buddies already played guitar. It's the old bass yeah. player story. Yep. I get this one a lot. Yeah. And so... That also bit you. I mean, you just kind of started... You didn't know what you were doing. You were kind of a little... <laughs> you didn't know what you were doing. She's mom, right. <laughs> your mom didn't know what was going to happen, and then all of a sudden you pick up the bass and you're obsessed. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I basically had a hard time sticking with anything. Yeah. And then the minute, the minute I wanted to be cool and hang out with my buddies, I ended up a bass player. And it got funny because it was like between middle school and high school, there was this realization of like, oh man, like this is what I'm doing. And I was a little apprehensive, like how do I tell my folks I'm gonna play bass the rest of my life and I don't think they know that yet. And then you, I got to the point too where towards the end of high school I had sort of outgrown a lot of what was surrounding me and I was moving kind of quick and I was lucky that I was obsessed with it because it gave me a work ethic. 
And I've always viewed what I do as a trade. Like I said before, like I, I install bass for a lot of people. <laughs> He's and, a bass and, carpenter. Yeah, and I'm thrilled with that. Any day with the instrument in my hand is a good day. And then there are days, too, like on the Whiskey Heart stuff, where I get to co-write and I get to be a creative force, and that's wonderful, too. What makes a solid side performer? Do you have oh, to check man. your ego at the door? I'm sure you deal with all types. Yeah. Check your ego at the door. It's funny, as a side man, you can never fail. Like, it's just not an option. Like... The higher up the yeah, pyramid, let's be clear, you, you can go. fail. Yes, yes, you can fail. It's not a good idea if you want to continue your career. Right, right. If I could even call myself successful, I would attribute it to just a lot of hard work. I treat basically the first rehearsal of everything I do like it's the gig. So I never walk in and ask questions. I walk in and I play the showdown. I can speak to that as someone who performed with you. You came in, you had your little mini, like... You had a couple charts on the iPad. chart thing yeah. going on there, and I'm like, all right, good enough for me. A lot of people find, like, sometimes my approach, they find my approach cold, or, like, they say, well, that lacks emotion. And my argument is, well, it's not a lot of emotion in playing the wrong notes or the wrong scales. So Absolutely. Maybe, maybe get that together and then work on how you feel about it. And then in consideration of what you do and probably how sure. busy you are doing it, you have, you know, there's only so much room in the, yeah, in the cerebellum for seven songs, nine songs, maybe oh, 15, my God. 20 Sometimes songs. it's four and five gigs a week, which is right. four and five hours of music in your brain. So you're off the drugs then? Yeah. Yeah, the times of being like, you know, that old cliche. Yeah, except for the tequila. All right, well, but that's after the show. Yeah, the, the cliche of like the musicians always being like not with it is really long gone. All the hardworking New York side men, who I'm happy to call friends and side women, are all sober. And like just kind of not 100% sober, <laughs> but you need to be able to put the work in. Have either of you done anything besides what you're doing? Have you had day jobs? We talked about our friend, our mutual friend, Teddy, yeah. who... Plays drums in a very talented, incredible band, in my opinion, but was living on his mom's couch for most of the time I knew him in New York, and now lives in Nashville, and, and has the management side. Now. Right, has a cool job in the industry, and it still he's, continues. He's working music adjacent, which is cool. Right, I did window treatments for a little while, but that was mostly when I was still in school. On occasion, you'll teach. But that's music adjacent as well. Yeah. But I've never really had a non-music job other than putting up window treatments. How do you deal with like health insurance and stuff? Well, that's an interesting like predicament. I gave <laughs> to Rebecca. I, yeah, that's my job to take one. care of. I've also, uh, similarly to Chris, have never had a real job, as a lot of people like to say. No, that's not a good way to phrase it. <laughs> I worked for knowing that. Yeah. Because it's really not. It's that, yeah. You got to uh, work through the state, and now we're lucky enough where we both um, both teach a couple of courses at uh, the Music Conservatory at SUNY Purchase. Oh, very cool. Um, we both teach some songwriting classes, which I love, also music adjacent, but I find it also really helps with you know inspiration for songwriting and everything. And um, that also is a wonderful way to get some health insurance. So. I taught for a year in between radio gigs, actually, about probably about 10 years ago at Brooklyn College, my, my oh, alma mater. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Yeah, Purchase is our alma mater. Oh, as really? Well. Yes. Both went there? Yeah, we both went there. And we got asked to teach there because of what we've done with our careers thus far, um, our life experience and everything. So, Very cool. So we just teach really directly what we do, which is awesome. What's scarier, teaching 25 kids how to songwrite? 
people are going on stage in front of 500 people. Teaching music. 25 kids at a songwriter. Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> it's good life experience on top of yeah. everything else. I'm here at Gordon Birch with Rebecca and Whiskey Chris. What up, Gordon Birch? Whiskey Chris, I like that. <laughs> the album's called awesome. Bright City Lights. What's next for you guys? Look in your crystal ball in a musical wasteland and... You know, tell me what what do you want Whiskey Heart to be up to a year, five, ten years from now? Oh man, well we're putting out a live record in January, which we're super pumped about, and then uh, we're gonna hopefully be on tour. Want to get out on tour in June and just keep growing the fan base, getting our music out there, and probably put another new record out, and hopefully get the band on the road with us, which would be a blast. We love what we do, and and I think that people will love what we do if they know where to find it. That's kind of the game these days, right? Well, that's why I'm here. We to appreciate spread the gospel. That, yeah, we totally appreciate it. <laughs> so good to hang out with you guys. We're going to close out with a song from the live record. Thanks for the beer. Uh, I got to go to a holiday party and watch a boys' you choir. Have a blast. And you got to play in what could be like a haunted mansion. You don't even know yeah. until you get there. We have no idea. All right, thanks guys. Thanks for having us, Ron. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having us.
was a new live version of Slipped, Tripped, Fell in Love from Rebecca Haviland and Whiskey Heart. Is that song about me? And I, I think that's an exclusive. We premiered that. You heard it here first. Earlier in the podcast, we heard 57 Chevy. Find out more, get the goods at RebeccaHaviland.com. Follow the band on social at Rebecca Haviland on Twitter and at Rebecca Haviland and Whiskey Heart on Instagram. I want to thank Rebecca and Chris for hanging and talking. And that's it. I got no one else to thank for this one. How about Jesus? Happy birthday, Jesus. And holy sh- thank you. There are way too many podcasts out there, and for some unknown reason, you have chosen to listen to this one. And to the very end, no less. Keep up with it all at baldfreak.com on social media at baldfreakmusic. Some great guests coming up in the new year, and I got some new music coming out too. At least that's what it says here on the paper. Is that true? I gotta get cracking. Reach out and touch me, Ron, at baldfreak.com. Next time on Independent Minded, I'm inside a sprinter van outside U Street Music Hall with Nick Yurlata of Denver, Colorado gypsy rock band Devochka. One of my faves. Nick starts off cold and cranky, but quickly defrosts when he discovers we're both New York paisanos. I like this one. The dog, one dog goes one way and the other dog goes the other way. Yeah, one is going east and the other one is going west. So what? And this guy's saying, what do you want from me? He's got a nice head of white hair. Look how beautiful the dog. It looks the same. They, looks like somebody we know. Me <laughs> <laughs> without the beard. No, it's him. Oh, <laughs> it's him. 